so it's been a week i feel like this past like these past few months there's been so much death obviously sickness because of covid right um and sometimes we forget that it's also happening outside of covid like it's happening to people who aren't sick from the pandemic too right um last week yeah last week my one of my mentors passed away and um she had cancer and she was older but she was just so impactful not just for me but for like all of buffalo yeah, like, my grandmother was talking about her. Actually. Yeah, um, Lorna Hill. She's just like the queen of arts in this city. Like, if you're a poet, a singer, a dancer, an actor, she is the person who you need to get. Like, you need to get on her radar because she will take you under her wing and train you, coach you as a as a performer, as an artist. But then also like. She's going to be real with you about life mm. and about the way you have to navigate this world. She was so big on, like, economic justice, racial justice. Like, she was just, like, everything. Mm. Um, the last time I saw her was actually right before everything got shut down for the pandemic. Okay, so, like, um, March, March-ish? Yeah, end of February, sometime in March. Um, and... She brought me on, so she's the founder and director of uh, Ujima Theater. She brought me in to start teaching poetry lessons to teenagers, which is so dope. I love it. And um, the last time I saw her was at one of my lessons. Mm. And I took the teens into the theater, and I was just trying to teach them how to connect with everybody at the same time, regardless of where they're sitting or what direction you're standing in. And she walked in the theater. So I was like, oh, Miss Hill, show them how to do it. So she said, okay, I'll go if you go. I hate when people do that because, like, <laughs> she's her and I'm only me. <laughs> but that's, you are you and that's an important thing. Yeah. Though. But I'm like, okay. So she, like, starts snapping her fingers and she performs this, like, bluesy, jazzy poem mm. that just had me, like, I was looking at them kids, like, do y'all realize who is standing in front of you just performing for you on a whim for free like <laughs> so then after um she went I went and I did a really short piece and I'm actually going to do it just short tribute to her and after I did this piece she went off on me and I was like what's wrong what did I do and she was like there is no reason why that should be my first time hearing that poem and like she was mad that she never heard it before <laughs> so I'm really glad that I got to share a poem with her um, before she passed, and it's one that not a lot of people have heard. Only a few people ever have heard it. Um, so yeah, I'm going to try to do this one. It's really short. Okay. I started from the way, way bottom. Didn't even fix my face to ask for Jordans, even though most of my friends had them. I made up my mind. I'm not looking for an out. I'm bulldozing my way through. Then all my scars will tell their own stories connected to me like a root I am a rose. No matter what you speak, your air will help me grow. Sporting pink petals as soft as silk the trophies life gave me to show I rise like Maya Angelou. 
floating directly toward the sun. And if they come for me, just know what doesn't kill me, better run, because I hit back. The descendant of a slave, they couldn't take off this earth. So of course, I know resilience. I know my worth. And I'm only getting better, aging like a fine wine. I'm not afraid of time, and I'm not afraid to shine. And regardless, I will rise. You can believe that, moving forward. But from time to time, I like to take a peek back. It's a good reflection of what you can achieve if you simply refuse to slack and hail in helium to make me lighter. And I know I'm making my daddy proud because that man, he raised a fighter and I'm going to rise. You can believe that. Yeah. And that is for you, Lorna Hill, the queen. We will miss you forever. And I'm so blessed and happy that I got to be a tiny, tiny part of your life journey. So after that, I one in my lost for words because that was amazing but i also just have so many questions um welcome back for episode four yes episode four um my name is lola love and i'm Paula jillian hainsworth and we are atypical, atypical social, social workers. workers thank you so much for coming back yes for our fourth episode um jill did an amazing <laughs> job opening us up today and wow like honestly like we were just sitting here talking about the fact that when you write poetry when it's yours you own it not just because you saw it not just because you memorized it just because it is also your experience mm -hmm. and so for her to now link a poem that maybe was written under different circumstances but now it's linked to the memory of a person that she cherished so much you know the poem takes on a life of its own definitely, as well. Definitely. So that's just, it's a beautiful thing to definitely hear and then see how happy you are when you actually are reciting yes. it. It's I was awesome. smiling the whole time I was reciting it. Because <laughs> I really just like, in my head, I just see the face that she made after I got done and my heart dropped and I was like, I didn't do something right. Like she's going to go off with me about like my breath control or like something. <laughs> and she was like, girl, why is this my first time? So yeah. You're That's right. Awesome. It's always now like I don't even remember why I wrote that poem because now it's just Lorna's like it's Lorna Hill's poem and that's, that's just what it is. So I think it's important that in this moment in this space that we you know briefly just talk about grief um, because like you mentioned we have been so focused on the grief experienced by people by the hands of this pandemic mm -hmm. and absolutely that matters absolutely it's important but people are also still dying yeah um from other things life is still happening life is still very much happening and when you have so much life coming at you all at once like sometimes you're just trying to survive from day to day you don't really get to process stuff right um but i personally feel like grief is definitely something that you have you have to process mm -hmm. because if you don't process it right away at some point it always catches up with you and it's gonna force you to acknowledge that it's there yeah. you gotta give yourself permission to grieve and you gotta give yourself permission to take the time necessary to grieve and also like not comparing your grieving process to other people's grieving right, processes right. um because i think like growing up and dealing with grief and you know growing up in like the hood you know and 
dealing with friends getting shot and things like that, mm-hmm. it was always like, okay, I'm a kid and I'm just not learning about gun violence because even though I'm only in the fifth or sixth grade, one of my friends got shot and killed. Right. So while I'm learning about what causes grief, I'm trying to navigate how to grief, how to grieve rather. And I feel like you never really learn how to grieve, but it was never really instilled in me that I'm going to have to figure out what this process is going to be. Because the only thing constant in life is is death. It's the only thing guaranteed in in taxes. (laughs) Because... The IRS will come after you. They will your taxes. come after that. Death is taxes. So, <laughs> so you know, just understanding that and understanding that sometimes we have to come up with plans right. and things to cope. Not even just with death, but just with everyday life, mm-hmm. like grieving plans, self care plans, like all of, we need to plan how we're going to react to the things that we know we're going to face in life. That's so true. And so you mentioned stages, right? So my mind kind of focused in on that, you know, social worker (laughs) and all. And so for the social workers listening in, you may already know where this is going to go. But um, in reference to grief, for those that may not be familiar, there are stages to grief. And you do have to give yourself permission. Um, The acronym that I use to remember that is DABDA. (laughs) So... um, it is denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. But note that you're not going to necessarily go in those you know, stages in order. Right. You might stay on, on the denial stage for months or years or a day and then jump to bargaining or mm-hmm. acceptance. But you also might be at a point of acceptance one day and then be at denial the yeah. next day. Um, it's a very real thing. And... And what Jill was saying in terms of like you have to make time and make a plan as just it's just absolutely necessary and true because it protects and preserves your own mental health because unfortunately death is almost the only guarantee that we have in yeah. life. Yeah. And so it's it's important. And also note that people grieve different things. So Never feel ashamed for what you choose to grieve and never judge anybody for what they choose to grieve. Of course, people grieve loss and death, but you may also grieve a job. You may also grieve a pet, a relationship, relationship. you know, there's no ends to what a person can grieve. If it's a significant loss to you, then it's most certainly going to impact you. Right. Regardless of what it is, like, it will definitely impact you. And it's only fair that you allow yourself to understand that it's going to impact you so that you can work through the ways that it will impact you absolutely absolutely so do we have any questions for 21 questions so if i'm being completely honest our listeners out there y'all being a little dry we need y'all to send us more questions listen pick it up okay we're Ugh. out here we want to answer your questions we mad thirsty for y'all questions bro <laughs> like come on and like let's keep the questions appropriate guys. absolutely please <laughs> um but no so like just on the topic of grief and just all things needed in social work mm-hmm. right so what are some of the things you like to do to kind of like balance out 
your personal life and your work life, you know, yeah. any like self care hacks or just things that you routinely do. Yeah. So I think one thing that I have to personally make sure that I do is turn off the news. Mm. I like to be aware of what's happening everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like I am so nosy <laughs> and I need to know what's happening in Buffalo in California, in Chicago, in Indonesia, in Malaysia, in Nigeria. I need to know it all. And <laughs> Okay, Carmen. And then when I see listen, <laughs> But then when I see stuff, I'm like, okay, if I was there, here's the plan I would come up with to fix this problem. Like, this is just not like don't guys, please don't spend your spare time doing this because it is so stressful. So I begin to like actively turn the news off and not Mm. surround myself with you know and you know the news is just so like sensational and like big headlines and so kind of stop all of that um also saying no in my personal life you know even to things that aren't it's not really work you know oh let's go to brunch okay but I wouldn't be by myself so I'm gonna say no and that's another thing taking time alone and like genuinely alone where I can really process the things that I've experienced at work mm-hmm. and in my private life because like we said life keeps happening it does and you know you might be at work as a substance abuse counselor and dealing with a family member who has um domestic violence issues you right. know like you might be dealing with it all um so cutting myself off from everybody sometimes is really necessary and then like netflix i have beyonce concerts <laughs> and i'll watch a beyonce concert and just like completely just tune the world out and it's just me and queen b you know <laughs> like yeah everybody love a little queen b everybody sure. so yeah you know it changes too yeah some of my self-care things they evolve as i evolve so i'm always updating that list um yeah what about you? I mean, so I shouted her out on our page um, this week, but so my one of my field educators in grad school noticed that I was struggling a little bit um, during my second year of grad school, and she was kind enough to force me <laughs> to make a self-care plan. So thank you, Amy, for doing that. Um, But it was honestly the first time that I ever realized that in my adult life that I thought about myself. And it's not that I ever woke up every day thinking about everybody else and how I could change the world, but I guess I did. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until that moment where I had to like think about things that made me happy or things that would make me feel more comfortable or more adjusted that I realized like, number one, it was so hard to like really reflect on that and it was even harder to follow that plan once I you know tried to develop it mm-hmm. and I failed a lot definitely I'm still failing All the time. in a lot of ways yeah um but I noticed for me music is mm-hmm. super therapeutic for me and I like all types of music so I might be listening to gospel I might be listening to trap music I might be listening to like some old 50s song that my grandmother put me on to. Um, I definitely like music from like the 60s and 70s as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I like honestly rock. I like pop. I listen to literally like everything. everything. And 
to me to make a playlist that is for a specific mood or period is actually really therapeutic for me mm-hmm. because it, it almost takes me down a rabbit hole to where I'm so focused on trying to find stuff to fit in this playlist that everything else like dissolves away um, and then it's enjoyable that when I'm in a moment like if I'm working out but I'm like you know I kind of want like an old school hip hop R&B vibe for this workout and I'm like oh there's a playlist for that you got an old school <laughs> hip hop R&B vibe playlist yes I really do <laughs> and so um, that definitely is helpful and then second which is not something I'm afforded to do every day mm-hmm. but especially not in the era of COVID, um, traveling is yeah. literally my salvation. Um, and it doesn't always have to be a dramatic form of travel, like yeah. across seas or anything like that. But just sometimes being able to get away, mm-hmm. disconnect from the things that are physically stressors for me here in Buffalo and just be by myself yeah. and reflect or just, I like to people watch. So like being able to people watch in a different place to see how, people are in other places is it's just something that's really comforting about that it gives me perspective and not in a like oh I feel sorry for you type of way mm-hmm. but just like yo pay attention yeah you know there's definitely more than the four walls of Buffalo mm-hmm. and at the same time there are some great things about Buffalo so like just be reflective and so, like, those yeah. are my two big go-tos. Yeah. Oh, I miss traveling so much. Me too. I'm really hoping my fall trips don't get canceled. But I know that the more y'all won't wear these masks, the higher my chance is of having my trip please, canceled. Put the mask on. Mask. Put the mask on, like, please. please. Pretty, pretty, please. Like, oh my gosh, one of my sorority sisters sent me a DM on Instagram and was like, so how is that whole catch flights not feelings crew doing and i literally (laughs) had to write back and say dead in tears (laughs) in mourning right now because yes yeah that is my motto and and it's hard you can't catch a flight right now at all unless you want to come back and be quarantined for two weeks yeah and who got time for that nobody but yeah those are really good self-care um ideas i like working out too i can't wait for the gyms to reopen though working out is working out is not as fun when you're great. just outside i need expensive machines that i can barely afford <laughs> to pay my membership that for. take away the muscle pain <laughs> right away so you do the yes. exercise and then i can go in the sauna and you know stretch work it all out listen when i have when i have the gym i have less free time to like come up with new milkshake flavors like and random stuff that I really need to just not be doing I, that's a whole fact so LA Fitness send your plan to Cuomo please and do. open it up let's go yes we need this clean and playing people let's do it because I need to go to the gym okay so speaking of putting the mask on you mm-hmm. know how when you get on an airplane and we, and we get to travel again right and they please. say you know, if the oxygen masks fall, you have to put yours on first before you put your child's on. Right, right. So as social workers, I like to use that analogy. So our community, the people that we're serving, that's our child. Mm -hmm. And unless we really take some time investing in taking care of ourselves and balancing our home life from our work life, a social life, and just really centering ourselves, we won't be able to help anybody else. That's a fact. So in other news, 
help yourself before you can help others, people. Yes, put the mask on. That's what I'm be saying. <laughs> all put all types of masks on. Okay, put your COVID <laughs> mask on. Put your self care mask on. You have to do it, or you will not be good to the community, and you'll be no good to yourself. You won't be productive in your personal life when you do get time to be alone because you're not able to separate work you from leisure casual you right and i mean especially you know in a helping profession whether you are a social worker Mm -hmm. a psychologist a police officer whatever whatever the helping profession is like we are um called to serve Mm -hmm. you know there we're in a service industry and we're giving of ourselves exactly and without really expecting anything in return you know so we serve but somebody can literally if we allow them they can suck us dry of that servitude and we never get filled up again just because we're always giving and giving Mm -hmm. and giving and that can be a person it could be a client it can be the organization you work for it can be your coworker, your supervisor it can be anybody you just have to be able to acknowledge the people that are like sucking the life out of you mm-hmm. and then know what to do to combat that so I was reading um, an article earlier this week really in preparation for today just to get my thoughts together and in social worker today um, there was this really interesting quote and it pretty much just said that self-care is the overlooked core competency of the profession because often we are taught to acknowledge others needs but never take the time to reflect on our own and i just thought that was like one very timely for my own personal life this mm-hmm. week but also just 100 percent effect yeah. like we're so used to giving 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 and we never really stop to think about like but what do i need yeah and what personal relationships, what professional relationships are actually giving back to me as much as I'm giving mm-hmm. to them. I really think that every social worker, even if you, you didn't go to school for social work, um, even if you didn't go to school and you got into the field by, you know, professional skills, um, a part of your training, a part of your education, regardless of where that education is coming from, needs to be self-care. It needs to be learning how to read yourself and figure out what you need because you're always taught that this is a draining field. You're always taught like, oh, it's hard and the burnout rate is high. But then you're taught that you can be a part of changing the world. And that's the part that you hold on to. That's Mm -hmm. the part that catches your ear. And that's the part that drives you. And you forget the other part. That you might get burnt out. You might be exhausted. You might not learn, be able to separate this. You might bring the feelings home and the situations, you know? And I mean, dare I say, like, I don't have any concrete data, but I'm sure it's out there somewhere. But, you know, I don't even want to say if and when as a social worker you experience well not if you experience burnout as a social worker but like when absolutely because it, it absolutely happens like over it may over happen early in your career you may go years not having experienced it and then all of a sudden it just happens because mm-hmm. it might be that one client or that one situation that just heavily resonates with you and then causes you to kind of you know push a little bit harder than you would in normal circumstances mm-hmm. and um 
So like, so Jill, like what kind of things do you do as a ritual or are just habitual with doing to sort of signify like the end of work for you mm-hmm. and then the stepping in of like your personal day? Well, I'm going to be honest, since COVID and working from home, that's gotten a lot harder for me. Um, typically, it's getting in my car, turning on some like loud like trap music or whatever <laughs> whatever vibe I'm feeling and transitioning and kind of leaving, leaving the office, mm-hmm. locking the door, turning the lights off and like saying that's it. Um, I also, I try when I can to make a point to not bring any work material home um so there is no oh i'm gonna take this report home and finish it nope it will get done tomorrow there is always tomorrow um but now it's a lot harder because i live on the west side of buffalo like in like the right between the west side and elmwood village Mm -hmm. and the apartments are small um but expensive Mm -hmm. and my apartment is very small so there is not there's no way that I can designate space to work, that I can leave. There's no extra room that I can turn into an office, you know? So now I really try to just, like, close all the books and put them out of sight. Um, I turned off my email notifications on my phone for work, so I only check that during the day. If it's after 5, it can wait until tomorrow, for the most part. Um, of course, there are always exceptions when you're a social worker. Right. Um, but yeah, I can... I'm still trying to figure that out, even though I feel like I'm going to transition to being back in the office. Oh, guys, the job that I said I was up for, I got... Julie got it! Yay! <laughs> so I'll be back in... Well, I'll be in my new office um, soon. So I guess I'll be back to my regular transition time but you know we never know what's gonna happen if like COVID might spike up again or something so I definitely need to do a better job at separating my work vibe from my home vibe if I have to work from home again yeah so you said a lot that really like resonated with me so like one this is definitely a point of failure in my life um, that I'm absolutely constantly like fighting for week to week to do better at. Um, I so a lot of my friends, family, whoever they refer to me as a a work warrior. <laughs> I am the person that takes home the report. I am the person that is sending you the email at two a.m. when yes. I should be asleep. She is the person that sends <laughs> the email at two a.m. And it's so frustrating sometimes, but really I think some of it is a manifestation of like my own anxieties of like not being prepared or not being on the ball Mm -hmm. um for something and so I'm just like I always have to think like 50 steps ahead but it definitely gets exhausting and draining um and I will say though I I do feel like transitioning into higher education full-time has afforded me the opportunity to once again like really reflect on my own self-care mm-hmm. and my own work-life um, boundaries and balances because you know prior to working in higher education full-time I was working um, in the OPWDD system and that system is a 24-hour system there yes. is no end to that and sure isn't. you know you could get calls 
at all hours of the night. And you whether have to be, show up. Yeah, like you so it could to. be someone calling off, someone needs to be rushed to the hospital. Yep. And so I do think specifically when you're a social worker, certain professions do afford you a more natural ability to provide self-care for yourself Mm -hmm. or have more concrete work-life balances but then there are other um roles within social work obviously and just helping professions where yeah like you are just the person at all hours Mm -hmm. and I have several relatives that also work in the field of social work and I watched my one cousin who yeah she was working so much around the clock and she's a single parent of three children and that's difficult that's Mm -hmm. super difficult and you know eventually she just like I have to take another position because I can't allow myself to be this available to you Mm -hmm. all the time because I can't neglect my own children and trying to care for the clients that I have here yeah um and I mean that's tough like so a lot of what you said like I'm learning to leave work at work what happened at work will be there tomorrow when I return. Um, I am honestly struggling a little bit with the electronic thing because with my new role, um, they're much more technologically like connected yeah. as compared to you know where we previously worked. And they want you have your email on your phone, have Slack downloaded onto your phone, have this app or that app. And I'm all for technology, but now it's kind of like an invasion of like my personal device now mm-hmm. becoming a work device yeah and number one they're not paying my phone bill that's Period. a whole fact um but second of all it's just kind of like where do those boundaries kick in mm-hmm. and you know you also brought up a very good point about about covid and working from home like i feel blessed to have been able to transition to working remotely versus being told you don't yeah, have a job anymore. Laid off. Yeah. But those boundaries are non-existent in this setting. Yeah. And a lot of, I know we talk about this a lot, a lot of administrators sometimes assume that they have to keep tabs on employees because they're working less because they're mm-hmm. working at home. But so let me tell you a secret. This I'm going to let you in. I'm going to spill a little bit of tea. If you're an administrator, <laughs> please listen to me. Please. If I wasn't going to work, I don't have to be at home to not get any work done. That's a fact. I can be in your face all day and not get any work done. So if you are in a position of leadership, really trust the competence of the people that you are supervising. That's a fact. And, like, give them some space to do their job without feeling like you have to micromanage them because you're not seeing them every day. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are more productive now that they're working at working from home. Right. So, like, don't micromanage and babysit the people that you're supervising just because you're not in their face every day. Because they could not get anything done while sitting next to you all day. Exactly. And we all know people like that. Yes. Um, But what you were saying about boundaries, like, one thing I really try to remember and, like, remind myself, because I'm that person who can be like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll be there. What time do you want me to come? You want me to come early and help set up? I can stay late and help clean up. Like, I'm, I've been that person all the time, like, mm-hmm. as long as I can remember. And I realized that if I always allow myself to be the person that gets there early and leaves late, that becomes the expectation. Yep. 
So then it turns from me volunteering myself to people expecting that from me. Mm-hmm. And then it turns into if I don't do it, I did not meet the expectations that I set. Um, so be careful about the expectations that you set. Like, it's fine to want to go above and beyond sometimes. It's fine to recognize that there are certain situations that you might have to ex- exert a little bit more time and energy to resolve. Mm-hmm. But also know that it's okay to not be the person that always shows up early and leaves late. Like, you can leave work on time and be just as good of a social worker as you would be if you stayed at work all night. I promise you. And you, honestly, if you are happier, if you are more relaxed, you're probably more effective yeah. in the workplace than what you'd be if you're stressed out. Because we all know, especially in, in professions where details count and details definitely matter in social work you know the more stressed out you are the lack of sleep that you may have because of that stress Mm -hmm. you're going to miss those details yeah and then that becomes more of like a performance issue at work and so get your rest Mm -hmm. and also know that when kind of I guess at least for me because I I don't want to speak for you Jill but the whole work-life balance thing also know that when it gets to that like life part of it there's also levels to that as well oh yeah because that doesn't mean that you leave work and are beholden to your kids if you have kids or your other relatives or your significant other like be intentional about carving out time just for you like that is what you like to do on your time your speed whatever that Mm -hmm. is because you know also a lot of times when we leave work we make our families and our personal lives our second job it's our second shift Mm -hmm. and it's important that that's not real self-care so just make sure you kind of understand those levels and of course it's easier said than done like if you're a single mom it might not feel like you can get off work and make time for yourself you might not get those opportunities every day um but just if there's something that you can do you know, once your kids get home, have some ice cream that they don't know is in the freezer. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, take a, a shower and a bath. Or a bath. <laughs> I'm a shower and a bath type of person because I've just never Are been you? cool with getting in the bath and just sitting in the bath when you're dirty. That's an interesting You're like, now you're like dirty soup. <laughs> dirty soup. So uh. get in the shower first and then take a bath. <laughs> so That's you hilarious. don't turn into dirty soup. Okay, sorry. That was hilarious, actually. I never heard dirty soup. Yeah, it's kind of like when you wash the dishes before you put them in the dishwasher because they're a little, like, you don't want to have to take them out of the dishwasher and then wash them them off. off. Yeah, that's true. So, like, take a quick little shower and then get (laughs) dirty soup. So you don't have to be dirty soup. But, like, find something that you can do for yourself, um, because it's important and if you don't make time for yourself man you'll be no good to know anybody you you really won't yeah i think a lot of times people at least i know the way i used to think about it was self-care has to be this like big production of a Mm -hmm. thing it 
literally can be the smallest thing. Even if you're the only person that knows that this thing makes you happy. Yeah. That's okay. There is this thing I saw on Facebook, and it's uh this mom, and she would buy fun-sized Snickers, (laughs) and she put them in an empty bag of broccoli, and she left them in her freezer. And she said every day before she went to bed, she would eat one of the fun-sized Snickers because she likes Snickers, but also just the satisfaction of knowing that they're there because her kids aren't messing with it because they think it's broccoli. That's ingenious. She said that alone just makes her feel happy. Like, (laughs) she really does have something that's just hers, even though she has to sneak it. That's hilarious. (laughs) So put some Snickers in a broccoli bag. Do it. Kids don't have to know. (laughs) Tell us about it. Tell us about it. Unpack your experience for us. (laughs) Right. We want to know how that went. (laughs) Yes. But you have to take care of yourself. Like, if you have any ideas of things that you do, definitely let us know. Um... We're always down to talk about self-care. And again, it's something that always evolves. Balancing work from home, it's ever-evolving because our situations at work and our home situations change. Right. Um, Sometimes you're going to go through something that's so stressful in your personal life that you're going to have to turn your attention to how to focus at work Mm -hmm. despite what's happening in your personal life. Mm -hmm. While other times your focus might be on what's happening at work and your attention might have to be on how to go home and stop working. So understand that it's not like this monolithic, you know, thing that never changes. It's ever changing. So you have to constantly figure that balance out um, and never get too comfortable in thinking that you have it figured out because that's when like a wrench gets thrown into your plan and then you realize you actually don't so be ready to pivot at all times when it comes to knowing how to balance work from home right eat a snickers dear typical social worker so (laughs) normally in this segment we focus on an actual person or a situation mm-hmm. but this week we're going to spin it a little bit so this isn't directed towards a particular person in the field um it is directed to a type of person in the field um but i also kind of want to add to that that it's not that they're a bad social worker it literally is probably a social worker who is burnt out, mm-hmm. who doesn't know their own boundaries and things like that. And so it's important to call attention to it, especially as we talk about self-care and grieving and boundaries and things like that. Yeah. So I was actually, um, you know, I like to do research. <laughs> you love to do research. I, do love to I do appreciate research. it, though, because I just like to, you know, kiki. You like to do the research. So basically... Um, A data survey was released in February of 2020, and it was conducted by the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. And essentially, um, what this survey showed was that many of U.S. employees um, are working in their prospective field under the influence. Wow. Um, Surprisingly, I wasn't shocked, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but so Specifically, what this information highlighted was that about 14% of the U.S. population reports um, being under the influence of alcohol at work. Mm -hmm. And then within that 14%, 
a number of 30% of that 14% actually says that while using alcohol, they also are using other substances. Okay. And so overall, though, at least 60% of U.S. employees know someone who has come to work intoxicated Mm -hmm. or high or insert whatever drug of choice there. Um, That really made me think about like my own experiences in the field and whether I myself had partook in anything of that nature or also noticed a coworker. Um, And unfortunately, I can actually think of definitely having coworkers in the past that I could definitely tell that they were a little tipsy at work Mm -hmm. or things like that. And it's a really tough space to be in because it wasn't that those people or persons were bad people or didn't care. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times, some of these people they had just recently told me like what was going on in their personal life. So I knew that they were dealing with some stuff Yeah, and understand that in a helping profession, again, like I can't stress enough that we are people too. Mm -hmm. So we will have stuff. However, it's important to own your stuff and to take the same steps that you would tell a client to take to resolve those things mm-hmm. don't just ignore it don't just try and throw it up under the rug or act like it doesn't exist because it will certainly manifest in other ways um stress manifests into health related issues like high blood pressure yeah um just stress can can also go into like overeating so obesity anxiety depression mm-hmm. All those sorts of things result from unresolved stress. So just please deal with your stress. Yeah, you have to. Because if you don't deal with your stress, your stress will deal with you. Absolutely. And that's like not even... I grew up like learning... Literally my entire life was learning how to deal with my stress. Like Mm -hmm. I was born like anxious, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm still learning how to deal with it. There are times where... I handle a situation and I didn't like freak out about it. And I'm like, wow, okay, growth. I see you. Like you chilling, you're not scared, you know? Um, But yeah, like I've definitely, um, I'm not too surprised to hear that statistic, to hear that um, people go to work intoxicated, especially, you know, social workers, um, because we have to cope with a lot. And sometimes it feels impossible to cope with some of the things we have to cope with on our own. And you might not have time to resort to going to see a therapist. Mm -hmm. You may not have the means to go talk to a counselor. Um, Sometimes if your mental health services is contingent on your income, maybe before taxes you... You know, you're over the threshold, but then after taxes, you aren't. Right. So, there's a lot of different boundaries. I'm Not boundaries, but, like, hurdles. There's a lot of different hurdles that you face when you're trying to cope with your own stuff and everybody else stuff when you're a social worker. So, if you have found yourself in a position where you have gone to work intoxicated or, you know, you left work and had, like, you know, a few shots on your lunch break or... 
um, you're high because you just need something to help calm you down or you're taking pills because you need something that you feel will help you focus. Whatever the case may be, just understand that we are not immune from needing help. We're not immune from needing support. We're still people just like the people we're helping. In the same way that we don't judge our clients, other people won't judge us for needing some support, for needing some help. Um, Self-care is an act of rebellion in and of itself. Taking care of yourself so that you can continue doing this work, that is fighting the powers that be in and of itself. And we can't fight those powers if we're already wounded. So, I don't know, that's kind of what I try to remind myself when it's time to actively take care of myself and make sure that I'm not bringing my fears and anxieties and the outside pressures and pressures for my job and I'm not carrying that stuff around with me every day yeah I also think about just the duality of the profession in a sense of so at least I've always felt like as a social worker people perceive you as this like squeaky clean person with high moral values and the utmost ethical standards and you are just tithing the church and sweeping up you know (laughs) the community neighborhood on a regular basis you're feeding families in need like you're just doing all this stuff all the time and the reality of it is is like social work is our profession but it is not the singular part of who we are yeah um we do have baggage we do have things in our life that we may not want other people to know but that is again what makes us human and so also in the study they mentioned the fact that like professions that have this um persona of high ethical value that people in those professions are less likely to seek help because again they don't want to be perceived as like amoral Mm -hmm. um as it relates to their profession and then so that that just really resonated a lot with me because people do feel like when you're a social worker that you are a superhero yeah you're bulletproof and and you're not like we are just (laughs) people who have a whole lot of hope in the world and a whole lot of faith that people are inherently good and maybe if we are good we can add a little goodness to the community Working while black, black while working. Oh, we about to freestyle? <laughs> no, that's the only. <laughs> My inner Issa was about to come out, and I was about to listen. I can't beatbox because I'm smiling, and none of the sounds will come out because it's just air and smiles. <laughs> so, okay, so some people may feel like this is a stretch, but I personally don't think it's a stretch. And guess what? This is our podcast. So we can do what we want. Stretch it. Go ahead. Stretch it. So I guess in light of everything that we were talking about this week um, with, you know, grief and self-care and just boundaries and all that good stuff, I really started to reflect on, like, my own experiences, but those particularly relating to my childhood. Um, I had a situation happen, and I won't go too much into detail, but... I have a niece and the way that the situation manifested, it really made me think about the things that she's being exposed to um, as a young child and how those things may begin to impact her into Mm -hmm. adulthood and what that could possibly look like. 
and I was a little worried mm-hmm. and it, it caused me to reflect upon um, my time in school where we learned about um, ACE mm-hmm. so um, adversive childhood experiences and so there's this like survey out there that you can take and there's just like a list of things and they'll ask you like have you experienced this have you experienced that you know like just to give you a couple examples like they may ask about physical or emotional neglect or divorce or have you witnessed violence of any sort things like that and so essentially you're supposed to like check these boxes right but at the end of the survey um after you tally everything The way that you read it is that if you've experienced a certain number of these things, Mm -hmm. um, especially as a child between the ages of like birth and 17, I think it is, um, you're more likely to have trauma that stays with you. For your entire life. For your entire life. And, And that's scary because I think, at least for me, from birth to 17, I can't say I was actively reflecting on everything that I saw, experienced. But as a, a young adult professional now, I definitely know and can reflect on things in my personal life that have happened that shape the way I respond to things at yeah. work, that shape the way that I open up to certain type of people at work versus other people. Mm-hmm. And so it just, for me, it just came together in that way. What about you, Joe? Yeah. So, okay, I did a little bit of research on the ACE as well. So... Of course, I've taken it a few times. And if you want to take it, you can actually take it on NPR's website. Mm-hmm. So um, just Google ACE. It's A-C-E. And um, you can take the survey and see where you stand. Um, but the categories are um, abuse and neglect. And it's any if you're affected by these things at all. So not even if you personally experienced it, but even if you witnessed it. Mm-hmm. Um, abuse and neglect. Um prenatal mental illness so if your mother dealt with stress and anxiety while she was pregnant with you um substance use and substance abuse divorce incarceration and domestic violence and when I think about that I think about the fact that I can name somebody or multiple people for all of these things like incarceration is unfortunately normalized Mm -hmm. in the black community because of the mass incarceration of black men right um divorce rates are have been normalized and they're high in the united states and some people say that it's because of different things but we're seeing that that traditional family structure has changed a lot um there's a lot of untreated mental illness um that we deal with especially in black communities because it's such a taboo topic Mm -hmm. so the crazy thing for me not crazy but i guess the thing that kind of stuck out to me is that i don't think i know a black social worker that would not score high on the ace exam on the ace quiz i would be inclined to agree with you i mean Um, like even just doing like pulling up this information and trying to you know plan and prepare for today um unfortunately the data shows that one one in ten kids um, experience three or more mm-hmm. um, of these traumas or experiences, which actually puts them naturally at high risk. Yeah, um, even for, for physical, men, for right, physical um, manifestations of yeah. those things. Yeah, and like 
But what was even more kind of like eye-opening is that 61% of black non-Hispanic children definitely experiences at a higher rate yeah um for white children it was about 40 percent, and for asians it was 23 percent. okay so it's just like you know i'm black you're black mm-hmm. so we're in this population pool where we're 61 percent more likely to have experienced yeah three or more of these um Traumas. experiences in yeah. our life in childhood at that and so how how can you know I would say you're spot on with what you think because how can we not if we fall in that pool Mm -hmm. carry that into adulthood and the crazy part is because a lot of this stuff has been so normalized in our communities because we've become like almost immune to feeling the effects of some of these things like mass incarceration like divorce things like that we don't know that it's an issue unless we're taught that it's an issue we don't know that mass incarceration although it is very real it doesn't have to become normalized we don't have to say okay this is just how the way the world works right you shouldn't expect to know someone who went to jail or was murdered by you know yeah. uh, gun violence like that shouldn't be an expectation but unfortunately so many black children like that is the expectation that is the reality that it's just is the normal you know a normal kind of i hate yeah. to say rite of passage and unfortunately for those of us who get into the field of people working with other people if we don't take some time to really invest in understanding and unpacking our own traumas they'll only get worse they'll be mm-hmm. triggered by our clients i have personally experienced working with a client and the client said something that really brought me back to some unaddressed traumas. Mm. And I had to sit there and I was doing like a brief like counseling session with this client and trying to figure out what the best course of action would be to keep this particular client safe. I was actually preparing to get this client out of the state and mm-hmm. When she said what she said, it just, it kind of took me aback. And I had to kind of quickly gather myself. Um, But it's something that I I never realized was even a trauma. Because again, it was just something that we all experienced where I came from. And I just think it's really important that we, we understand the way those things can affect us when we're working. And we protect ourselves from the harmful effects of it by really taking time to understand and unpack our traumas and making peace with our past because we can't change it you I know like that. make peace with your you past. have to make peace with it if you don't make peace with it and get to the point and it's never to say that you have to be okay with everything that happened you can make peace with something and not ever accept it you know right it's kind of like we agree to disagree, kind of like that. Where right. You might argue with somebody on Facebook, and it's like, you know what? I'm not about to be mad, but I'm Girl, also not about bye. to be arguing with you. So whatever. <laughs> That's kind of what you need to do to some of these things. You have to acknowledge it happened. I cannot take it back. It helped, in a way, shape who I am for better or for worse. And if it's for better, that's what I'm going to focus on. And mm-hmm. if it's for worse, that's what I'm going to work on. And as we do that we're able to teach our clients how to do that as well and i mean as much as the a study highlights those um adverse of childhood experiences 
um, there's also equally a lot of studies that focus on the resiliency that children who have these experiences come to develop and mm-hmm. resiliency is a beautiful thing it is and it's just again like reflecting on my own childhood and young adulthood or teenage years and then like pulling that into me as a professional today like I absolutely know that you can say something to me with a certain tone of voice and I'm ready to go off mm-hmm. or you can look at me a certain type of way and I feel threatened and the list kind of goes on and on and it's just I don't know it's just a very interesting thing and it's not to say that because I don't have you know data on this but it's not to say that that black people or black employees experience more like personal trauma and drama in their lives than their white counterparts but I would kind of in some ways deduce that that's possible because of the simple fact that if 61% of our childhood population are having these adversive experiences, Mm -hmm. those children grow into adults who ideally have probably either figured out how to cope with these experiences or have fallen victim to becoming in that generational cycle of perpetrating those very same things. And unfortunately, like it's just kind of like a little mouse wheel that goes around and around and around. And some people find their way off. That's Mm -hmm. resilience. And some people don't. Some people stay on that wheel forever and just create more mouses on wheels and things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I use mice because I don't <laughs> like mice. But you get the point. Yeah. So it's definitely important. And to speak to directly to all of our black listeners who are in the field of people, um, take some time and just really investigate your own past. You know, look into look at situations and definitely do it trauma-informed the same way you would instruct your clients to do it we are not encouraging anybody to open pandora's box um but understand some of the things that you've dealt with and whether it seems big or seems small because it affects you today Mm -hmm. even if you don't see the effects you don't see the correlation or the causation you don't really see the connection it 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 does affect us. Um, it's proven. So just take some time to dig into that a little bit and see how some of the things that you endured and survived mm-hmm. as a child has impacted the person you are today. Um, and, like, we're all super dope. Like, we're super, super dope regardless of what we had to rise out of That's growing up. Um, it's what makes us beautiful yes um like Harriet Tubman was resilient yeah like Madam T.J. Walker is resilient (laughs) it's um it's an amazing yeah you are in amazing company if you are resilient you are in amazing company um without resiliency this country would literally not exist exist like yeah our communities wouldn't exist the freedoms that we have wouldn't exist like resiliency is what made people get like sprayed with holes um because they wanted to ride a bus resiliency it changes it changed laws it changed the world Mm -hmm. so celebrate that resiliency um we celebrate you regardless of what you've come from 
we know that this world and this field needs you. Absolutely. You matter. You got to take care of yourself. Take care of yourself so that we can keep taking care of our people. And again, we've said this in previous episodes, but like, don't feel obligated to have to explain your past to anybody, especially in a professional setting. Like, your business is your business, Mm -hmm. but it is very much good to be aware of what you're carrying because sometimes I'm guilty of it. Sometimes I have overreacted in a situation or jumped to a conclusion, but I understand more so now that it's because of the way a person might have maybe mishandled me in the past or something that I saw and just assumed that this must be that versus this. And so it's it's important and also know that your so these experiences that we have in childhood, right? Um, some of us are able to again rise up out of those and some of us kind of continue a will like understand that like if you have siblings and things like that you may be that resilient child and your siblings may not be so much of a resilient child and in adulthood though you may have to carry their baggage so it's not that you weren't able to overcome things but we can't choose our family and we stay connected with our families in a lot of ways even when we don't have good relationships and so sometimes their baggage becomes your baggage and sometimes that crosses over into a professional realm where like if you just dealt with someone in your family or someone you're close to having a breakdown the day before and then you have to go to work the next day that's all sorts of like trauma right there because you're probably anxious you probably feel unprepared for the day Mm -hmm. you probably don't want to be bothered with people but it's important to sort of be able to check in with yourself and realize that yes preach pass the offering plan (laughs) give us your offering because lola love just preached that thing (laughs) (laughs) but yes please take care of yourselves and invest in in you so that you can keep investing in us because we need you. We need black social we workers. We need you. Yes, we do. <laughs> so thank y'all for listening. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Keep coming back every week, every Wednesday. We got some new every Wednesday. Some we new got work that for y'all. Fire. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Follow us on Instagram at atypical underscore social underscore worker. And inbox us if you have questions for 21 questions. And also, Lola, do you want to talk a little bit about nominating? Yeah, so we just released a post um, this past Friday. And we really want to acknowledge the wonderful, amazing beings that social workers are. So if you are a social worker and want to nominate yourself, If you know of a social worker who is doing amazing things in the community, hashtag we want those atypical social workers. Shout them out. You can um, email us at atypicalsocialworker at Mm gmail.com. Let us know a little bit about the person. And if we select them for our monthly feature, um, we'll also have them posted on our website. We'll let them record a sort of like day in the life of on our story. And they might get some cute little swag. So yes. definitely, again, email us those social workers, atypicalsocialworker at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Do it. You know you want to. 